Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. So today we're going to talk about, uh, talk through First uh, John chapter 2, verse 18 through 29, not a very long section, and really the, the subtitle for this message is Truth. Um, because John presents a sharp contrast between the lies of the false teachers that were attacking the church at that time and the truth that we're called to stand upon. Today's passage can be broken down really into two sections. The first few verses, 18 through 23, um, warn against the, the lies and the false teaching that was coming against the church that John was writing to. And the second portion, verses 24 through 29, um, teaches us and the readers how to respond to those lies. So we're going to look at the lies, we're going to look at the false teaching and who they were, and then we're going to look at how we as Christ followers should respond to those lies. Are you ready? All right. Verse 18 says, Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard... That the Antichrist is coming. The Antichrist is coming. Okay, when I say Antichrist, go, Okay, you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come. (laughs) By which we know it is the last hour. All right, that's a scary word, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, we're going to talk about what the Antichrist is and what it means uh, in just a little bit. But the big point here is, you know, if it was the last hour when John wrote this, how much more is it the last hour now? uh, We are really getting down to the wire. Uh, Now, technically or theologically, what this is referring to is the time period between the resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus lived, he was... um, taught we have the record of that through the gospels and then of course he was arrested and crucified uh, and died and and buried and then three days later he rose from the dead and was openly displayed having victory over death and he told his disciples to go preach the gospel and that whoever believes in jesus would have eternal life and then he ascended up into heaven and then there was the promise that he would return Uh, to rule and reign over all the earth. And uh, upon his return, all evil, all sickness, all uh, death will be done away with. And so we're awaiting the return of Christ. And so this this term, the last hour, is, is technically, theologically, the time period between Christ's ascension, his resurrection and ascension, and his return. So when John wrote this, this is near the end of John's life, I mean, they really thought Jesus was going to come back in their lifetime. Um, As has pretty much all Christians since. (laughs) Because you know what? He could. These are the last days. That's repeated many times throughout the New Testament. And John, since this was written late in John's life, he's like, it's not the last day, guys. It's the last hour. So we, we must be down to minutes or seconds. (laughs) <laughs> All right, um, because uh, everything that needs to happen in order for Christ's return pretty much has happened. All right, things are all lined up, 
And uh, in, in a very real sense, Jesus could come back. And so we need to live that way. We need to live as though, and this is the exhortation here, we need to live as though, hey, this is the last hour. Okay, so this means by 1 p.m., you, you better hope I finish and you go get lunch quick. You know, it's like before you get on, on the plane, you want to eat a good lunch so you don't have to eat the plane food, right? <laughs> no, no, wait. There's going to be a wedding feast in heaven. So hold off. <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying? By, the, by, by 1 o'clock, we could be in heaven. By 1 o'clock, everyone who hasn't accepted Jesus may no longer have the opportunity. Hmm. That's a different way to look at it. By 1 o'clock, the person that you've been wanting to tell about Jesus about, tell to, to them about the salvation and the Bible, it may be too late. By 1 o'clock, it may be too late to love on someone who hasn't ever experienced love. We're living in the last hour. <clears throat> Antichrist here means against Christ. All right, so who is this Antichrist? Is it some big scary person? Well, yeah, there is a person that in, in Scripture is identified as the Antichrist. And uh, only John uses this term. Paul refers to a man of lawlessness that is going to come. And, 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 and many people, many authors today think he, that individual could be alive right now, somewhere, ready to take over the world. Interesting thing is that throughout most of church history, the last 2,000 years, there's always been someone who written and preached that that person is probably alive right now. <laughs> Why? Because it's the last hour. It could really happen. Okay. But, but John goes on, oh yeah, and in Revelations he's called the beast. But John goes on and says, uh, there are many antichrists already causing harm. So he's like, yeah, there is this Antichrist that is a, a figure in the story of the end time and, and, and how the scheme of things that will happen that uh, 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 readies for when Jesus returns and there's the last uh, day and the trumpet and the resurrection of all humans. But, John says, you know what? Antichrists are already poured out uh, uh, and are causing harm. And so Antichrist is a principle of spiritual error, as well as a title for those who teach contrary to Christ. And so that's, that's really what we're talking about here. Um, and particularly, it uh, refers to those who often they don't directly oppose Jesus. In other words, they don't reject Jesus altogether, but they redefine and they reimagine him. Right? And that's really key if someone is teaching Christ, but not the Christ that is accurate with the Christ we find in Scripture. All right? and, um, and so they, they just say, like, yeah, he was good, but this is what he meant. And then what they say is, is a little bit skewed from the original. And if you get a little bit off, eventually you'll become a long way off. They may say that Jesus is good, but he's not God. Well, there's a big difference between those two things, all right? And so this Antichrist um, error is as rampant 
today as it was in the day that John wrote it. In fact, I think it's, it's far more rampant because the church is bigger and there's so many more opportunities for people to spread teaching that is contrary to the teaching of the New Testament um, that we can read. So let's go on. Verse 19, it says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, not, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So he's, he's talking about these antichrists and uh, that uh, they were part of the church. And so the dangers to the church are often dangers from within and not from without. Because it's easy to say, well, those people are clearly, you know, people that deny Jesus altogether. You know, uh, I was just in Japan uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and, you know, they're worshiping idols. I mean, literal idols. They, they have them everywhere in their yards, they have temples, every block. And they're beautiful temples and shrines with idols. And so, well, it's easy to see that they're not, uh, you know, Christian and corrupting. They're, they're completely rejecting. They don't know anything about it. But people from within that then come under the influence of heresy and end up, uh, leaving and departing because of that heresy or because of that error in their understanding, their teaching, is really the danger. We don't know who John was referring to specifically. There are some uh, uh, ideas, but it was clear that they were once part of the church and they left. And so defection, this is a quote from a commentary I, I really like, defection from the fellowship gives evidence of a defective faith. Yeah, that uh, by defecting, leaving, departing, breaking the, the unity and the community of the fellowship often means that there is, a, often is an evidence that the faith is defective. Now, <clears throat> um, the breakdown of community, therefore, uh, the community of the believers is a key strategy of the Antichrist influence. And John actually uses that, the fact that they left, they, they caused division, uh, as a way of identifying them as antichrist. All right? And so um, the, the idea of unity and community amongst the believers is really, really important to God. It's really important to, to understanding the, the message of the Bible. And of course, it doesn't mean that the church is perfect. No, we're no way near perfect. <laughs> But when people um, adapt or uh, um, change the gospel, change the message to the point where uh, they cause a schism, a breaking apart, and, and uh, to, the part, to the point where they are actually teaching something contrary to what the Bible teaches, that then uh, shows that there is uh, a, a definite defect in their uh, teaching in their faith. So breakdown in community is uh, an evidence of defective faith. John continues to go on and says, but you, <clears throat> contrasting uh, uh, those who departed, those who defected, those who had defective faith, uh, to us, those who remain, have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? 
He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. All right, so John's writing is kind of esoteric at times and flowery, if you will. It kind of uh, uh, waxes poetic. Uh, but really, he's, he's talking about some basic truths. All right? And he's actually making a, a word play here because uh, when he says, but you, he was just talking about Antichrist, and now he's talking about you have the anointing. Well, Christ actually is the Greek word for anointing. All right? And so <clears throat> he's saying they, they are the anti-anointing, but you are the real anointing. All right? You have an anointing from God. And the Antichrist, or those who teach, uh, and then he lists what they teach er erroneously, are those who are um, enemies of the anointed, or they are, they are actually, they don't have the anointing. They are Antichrist. John assures the believers, he's given them confidence, that they possess the true anointing uh, that comes from God. And the anointing he's referring to, and we'll unpack this in a little bit, is the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the person of God that dwells among us. It says, uh, and you know all things. Well, that's interesting. How many say that you can, you know all things? <clears throat> I'm like, the longer I'm a Christian, the more I realize, the less I know. Right? So the ESV translates this really well. It says, you, have, you all have knowledge. All right? Same words, that makes it a little more clear. He's not saying you know everything, but you all have knowledge. They, they had all heard the gospel. They had accepted the gospel. It's not saying that we're omniscient. Uh, what it's saying is that we don't need to seek after some secret revelation, some, uh, uh, some, uh, some extra truth. And that's exactly what the false teachers and the Antichrist that John's trying to protect the church from uh, were saying that you needed, you needed to buy their books. You, know? you needed to go to their conferences. You needed to subscribe to their podcasts. No, they didn't have podcasts back then. <clears throat> you, you needed to buy into their teaching uh, in order to really know the truth. And John's saying, no, that's not how it works. Uh, you already know. You already have the anointing. And we need to remember that as well because there's often people who present uh, things that, uh, you know, maybe they're new to you, but they better not be new to Scripture, okay? And they better not be new to church history uh, because we, we understand that what was delivered at the first is what really counts, okay? And we need to understand that better. Uh, and so... Uh, we have the knowledge that we need. John then identifies the false teaching uh, as any lie or any teaching that denies that Jesus is the Christ. Well, he just really nails it. Anybody that tries to uh, uh, change the message from uh, salvation through Jesus Christ alone, boom, that is red flag, man. That is the biggest red flag you can get. And people do that, even in our day. 
Uh, you know, yeah, Jesus was good, but it's not like he, he was God. No, Jesus is the Christ. And when he says that d- denies Jesus is a Christ, that's s- denying that Jesus is the long foretold Messiah uh, that was presented all through the Old Testament that the uh, Jewish people were waiting for. That's the fulfillment of every prophetic promise in Scripture is the person of through Jesus Christ can we have salvation from our own sin and our own uh, uh, failures and from the curse that's on our on humanity so the the centrality of Jesus as the Christ is the primary uh, heresy that he's identifying that we need to be warned of and then he goes on and says any uh, anyone that denies the father and the son is antichrist all right who's antichrist anyone that denies the father and the son Wow. Uh, so he's, what he's referring here is, <clears throat> he changes the term from Christ to Son, and he's talking about the unique relationship between God the Father and Jesus Christ as God the Son. And again, he, just, he mentions this, he doesn't elaborate on it, because he elaborated on it all the way through the gospel that he wrote and, and, and through the, all the other teachings that had been taught to the church. But when people come in and try to change the, the definition or change the relationship between uh, Jesus as God the Son and the Father, that's Antichrist teaching, right? That Christ is the only begotten of the Father. He's not just another son. And so, for example, the Mormons teach that Jesus is just a son of God and that if you follow along the path of pure living you will at one day be equal to uh, Jesus and will all end up sons of God and that's that's just that's a pretty big error okay that's why the church long ago said no that Mormonism they, they blow it they do teach Jesus a lot of them live really good lives there you can actually be a Christian in the Mormon church Okay, because a lot of the people in the church don't even understand the the full teachings. But if you go and look at their doctrine deeply, and if they embrace that teaching, that, oh, you're equal with Jesus, if you just keep living right, no. That's that's denying the Father and the Son, okay? That's Antichrist teaching. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. In other words, John's saying, you know, it's, it's not one or the other. They come as a package deal. And then he who acknowledges Son, Jesus, has the Father. So you, once you come into relationship with Jesus Christ, you have the Father. There's not something else you have to do in order to attain relationship with the Father. So Jesus as Savior and Son of God, uh, the teaching against that, there's a bit of a typo there in my, in my notes, those lies that they were uh, teaching that Jesus wasn't the Christ and that there, uh, that there wasn't a unique relationship between the Father and the Son, those were the lies that John is confronting because they're the core truths of Christianity, all right? That Jesus is the Christ and that there's a unique relationship between uh, the Father and the Son and that when you come to Jesus Christ, you have right relationship and right standing with the Father. Those are the core truths that we have to stand on. Right? To the heretics, this is a quote from a commentary, Jesus was important, but not preeminent. And preeminent means the most important. Right? And so um, he was significant, but he wasn't Savior. 
And the true message of the gospel that we stand on is that Jesus is preeminent. He comes before all things. And Jesus is Savior. There's only one name by which we can come into right relationship with the Father, and that's Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Scholar I.H. Uh, Marshall writes, To deny that Jesus is the Christ is to deny that He is the Son of God. To reduce Jesus to the status of a mere man, or to allow no more than a temporary indwelling of some divine power in Him, is to strike at the root of Christianity. And so that was one of the errors that they were uh, teaching, and some people teach it today, that Jesus was just a, a regular person that was used by God to uh, communicate truth and to do miracles, but he wasn't God. That's pretty much what the Mormons, or not the Mormons, the, um, the Islam teaches. He was a prophet, but he's not God the Son. In fact, they get really upset when you talk about God taking on a human body. <clears throat> and so um, that's where the error comes because this is core, it's central, it's the root of Christianity that we understand the identity of who Jesus is and stand uh, securely on that. So these false teachers were present in John's day and they're present today. <clears throat> and that's because the spirit or the influence of Antichrist is just as present today as it was then. And so I actually think that should give us confidence that uh, we're fighting the good fight. You know, the, the, the arguments really haven't changed. There are no new heresies under the sun. Uh, I'm serious. Whenever something new comes up, it's like, just read. You know, the, there was a great book about that written 100 years ago because the same heresy came up and, and people who understood scripture and understood theology gave an answer to it. Uh, and so we need to understand <clears throat> that this fight continues and we're part of the fight. John then changes and then gets to the point of the letter where he instructs us on how to respond to these lies, how to respond to these heresies. And he, he continues to write in verse 24, Therefore, so this is what we are to do because of the Antichrist uh, influence, therefore let us abide in uh, therefore, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is a real key verse and a real key idea. It's a main uh, idea that John uh, really pounds on through all of his writings, his Gospels. In this letter, the word abide is used 23 times, seven times just in this little section of, of verses we're talking through today. So abiding is something that's very important. It's, it's a, uh, an expression that means uh, union as well as communion. So there's a unity, but then there's a communion. A communion is a, an exchange, a give and take, a unity and a community. And so he's teaching us that the word which we heard from the beginning must abide in us. That which you heard from the beginning. Now, keep in mind, the people that John is writing to, um, I'm pretty sure he conf was confident that they had read the gospel he had written earlier. All right? Because he's writing to the people that know him. And do you remember what the gospel of John starts with? In the beginning was the word. the word, and the word was what? 
with God, and the Word was God. So when he talks about let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning, he's talking about the Word. And, and when John talks about the Word, he's talking about Jesus Christ. All right? And that needs to abide. Uh, that which we heard from the beginning, the Word of Jesus Christ, needs to abide in us. And if that abides in us, uh, we will continue to abide in the Son and in the Father. So that's that abiding in. Christ in us and us in Christ. That's how Paul says it in, uh, in Colossians. It says, Christ in you, the hope of glory, man. Our hope is that Christ is in us. Where is Jesus right now? He's in us. He, every, well, he's in heaven. Yeah, he ascended. He sits on the right hand of God. Yep, he's in heaven, but he's also in us. How does that work? I have no idea. But I believe it. All right? He's in us. He's in me. Wherever I go, Christ is in me. He rules and reigns. He's secure in heaven. But in some very real way, he exists in, in me. And, but in the same, ver, chap, uh, same book, Paul writes a little bit later, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So Christ is in me, but I'm in God. But it doesn't look like I'm in God. But I believe I am in God in some very real way. All right? Maybe let's call it a spiritual way or a mystical way. But it's no less real. In fact, it's more real because it's eternal. Okay. And okay, so the false teachers were always trying to add something, some secret knowledge, information, practice, or experience. But the Bible tell, tells us to stick to that which we heard from the beginning. Let me just point out that some people <coughs> criticize churches that teach about um, flowing in the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like prophecy or hearing God's voice or uh, praying for miracles, as though we are adding something to uh, the gospel. Right? That's what the fundamentalists often accuse um, uh, Pentecostal or charismatic uh, teachers that we're adding to the gospel, but in fact, that's not at all what we're doing. So I actually respect their theology that you cannot add uh, to the gospel. Uh, preaching the gifts and the, and, the, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not adding to the gospel because Jesus promised part of the gospel was that when I leave, the Holy Spirit will come and fill you. And this is how you'll know you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll speak in tongues, you'll cast out demons, you'll prophesy. And it's built on this very, very, very important truth. It's kind of a famous statement that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And this is true. You can't add anything to Jesus. And if you add something to Jesus, you're actually diluting the truth. All right. And so when we talk about the things of the Holy Spirit, we're not adding 
we're talking about that's everything. That's part of the everything. That's the, the anointing. The part that abides is the Holy Spirit in us. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians. He says, for all the promises, everything that God, all the promises of Scripture, everything God's promise, and one of those promises is that we'll be filled with His Spirit and we'll be filled with power. We'll be able to do greater miracles than Jesus did. All those are promises. All the promises of God in Him, in Jesus, are yes. And in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now He who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, talking about the same anointing, uh, is God who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So just tying together the same idea of abiding, of dwelling within Christ, Christ in us, and of uh, uh, being uh, anointed with the anointing of God, which is the Holy Spirit. And John says that this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. And that means not only living in heaven forever without dying, but it means eternal, abundant life, having all that God promised, having the fullness of what God intends you to have uh, for eternity. Do you realize that that's what the gospel promises? Let me get your attention for a minute. I know I talk fast, trying to get a lot of ideas across. But uh, the promise of salvation is not just that we avoid hell and live in some paradise. It's that you will have everything and you will be all that God intends you to be forever in relationship, perfect, undivided, unadulterated, pure, holy relationship with Him and with every other person that is in relationship with Him forever. That's eternal life, all right? That's the promise. That's what we're going. In Christ, <clears throat> we gain everything. Sound good? Who wants to sign up? Right? That's what, that's what accepting Jesus as your Savior means. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you. It lives in you. And you don't need that anyone teach you. But the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie and just as it has taught you you will abide in him so john's purpose is to prevent deception and this anointing uh, is referring to the indwelling of the holy spirit again john explains this when he quotes jesus in his gospel john 16 uh, jesus said when he uh, the Spirit of truth has come, speaking of the Holy Spirit, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. So the promise that the Holy Spirit is going to be in each Christian, leading and directing us into all truth. John's not saying that we don't need a teacher. All right? Otherwise, why would he be writing them a letter teaching them? Okay, so that it doesn't mean that we don't need a teacher. What he's saying is that we don't need any teaching or teacher that teaches something contrary to this abiding anointing, the Holy Spirit, that we already have, and contrary to the word that we've already received and that we're living in. Does that make sense? We don't, there's, there's not another chapter to the book. We have it. 
We need to live in it. We need to abide in it. Paul says it this way, uh, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you another gospel, a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, and so say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you've received, let him be accursed. He says the same thing over and over again. He says, man, if, if anybody twists this gospel, makes it a little off, man, they're accursed. Uh, and, and, and don't give in to that. You don't need a new teacher or teaching. We need to remain, abide, stay, stick to the truth that we know. And John says, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence. That's the that purpose of this letter is to, is to build up their confidence. We are going to have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous and you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. He's teaching us how to live righteously and that is in essence, and, and really the best way to understand what it means to live righteous is not simply a list of rules of do's and don'ts. Okay? It's abiding in Him. All right? Abide in Him that when He appears, we may have confidence. What are we to do? Stay. Abide means to stay, dwell. It means don't leave. <laughs> stay there. Stay there. Stay where? In Him, in relationship. We are to live in Christ. No aspect of our lives should be outside of our relationship with Christ. All right? so, and the best way to understand this is, is a relationship. My, you know, my, the most important relationship on earth that I have with another human is my marriage. And so there shouldn't be any aspect of my life that's, like, that's apart, that's contradictory to my relationship. If I'm doing something that is contrary to my relationship, that's destructive to this relationship, it's ultimately destructive to me. Does that make sense? And so in the same way, we don't want to have any part of our life that's destructive or contrary uh, to our relationship with Jesus Christ. So everything, every aspect of our lives should reflect or should be wrapped up in some way in our relationship with Christ. That's what it means to live in Him, to abide in Him. You know, this uh, section started out with, now many antichrists have come. Now, many antichrists, everybody, many antichrists have come. All right, so the response, though, is now abide in Him. Uh, so it doesn't matter in one sense that there are antichrists running around and false teaching, as long as we abide in Him, because if we abide in Him, that produces the confidence that we need to live the righteousness of Christ in our life.